The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, uh, since it is the Sunday right after Easter, I thought we would talk about something really deep and meaningful and profound. Uh, I wanted to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about this guy, uh, Superman. And if you know me, one of the things that I have made pretty clear throughout my lifetime is that Superman might be my least favorite superhero. I mean, there are some others that I like less than Superman, if I were really thinking about it, like the Green Hornet or Green Lantern, or maybe like even the Wonder Twins, because those are like super lame powers that you have to have your sibling along with you to make useful at all. But Superman is not high on my list, and I say that knowing that for some of us, Superman is super high on the list. Like, that's the greatest one, Superman. Like, when someone is really good at something, we say that they're like Superwoman or Superman. But he is not that great, and here's why. Because he's not Batman. (laughs) And Batman is really the greatest superhero because Batman is a real guy with real problems, Um, He's an orphan, he goes through real struggles, and Superman is, you know, an alien. And I just don't think that if you're really a a good human from Earth, that your favorite superhero ought to be an alien from somewhere else who gets his superpower from draining power from your own son and then says that he's going to help you. I just don't think that that's fair. He wasn't bitten by a toxic spider like Spider-Man. Like, Batman is the real thing. Superman is a cheater. But anyway... Superman does have his moments. And my favorite Superman of all the Superman um, is this one, Christopher Reeve, who did an arc as Superman um, when I was a kid. And I remember going to see Superman, Christopher Reeve Superman, in the movie theater when I was a kid in 1978. Okay, um, the 70s were this time in the last century I know that's really foreign to many of us. And when I went and saw this movie with my parents, um, I did seeing Superman the same thing that I do now um, when I go see a movie with my kids, which is somewhere in the movie, I just like fall asleep. Like that's always been the case. Like I have not made it through a movie awake the whole time, like just honestly, just keep this between the two of us. If I'm still for more than like 20 minutes, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing, I will fall asleep. But now I'm older and not only do I fall asleep in movies, uh, I have to go to the bathroom two or three times like in the course of the movie. And so most of my movie viewing is simply me asking my daughters, "Um, what happened? What did I miss? Like they they just take notes now, they just start writing things down. But I woke up in 1978 uh, watching this Christopher Reeve Superman movie um, at this really crucial part where Superman has to save the world at the end. And Superman has to save the world, or at least part of the world, um, by bricking up the Hoover Dam. But while he's doing all of that, he does have this really human moment because the woman that he loves, this woman Lois Lane, 
is driving through Nevada and because of this earthquake that has been caused by the very evil and deadly Gene Hackman, um, <laughs> she falls into a crevice and dies. And Superman's not there to save her because he's been bricking up the Hoover Dam trying to save thousands and thousands of people from dying. And when he realizes that Lois Lane is dead, he goes into this fit of grief and anxiety and anger. And so Superman leaves the planet and flies around the globe, flies around the earth backwards. And as he's flying around the earth backwards, he's actually reversing time. So what he wants to do is he wants to stop Lois Lane from dying. So he starts flying around the earth backwards to try to undo everything that's done so he can save Lois Lane from dying. And so he flies around the earth and my wife is a science teacher and she tells me, <laughs> don't, don't, don't get ahead of me. She says <clears throat> that while it's really romantic that someone would fly around the earth backwards to save the woman that they love, that it is, scientifically speaking, suspect. Because <laughs> even if he saves Lois Lane, the earth rotates on its axis at a thousand miles per hour. And if he were to save Lois Lane, he would give every other living creature whiplash, one, and that he would undo the damming of the Hoover Dam that he just did, and all of those people would die. And so while it's a great movie, um, in some respects, um, it doesn't really add up, unlike, you know, Batman. But I think back to seeing that movie when I was a kid and Superman flying around the world to turn back time. It makes me think of so many instances in my own life, and maybe you're this way, where you just wish that you could turn back time. Have you ever had an experience? Maybe it's something you said something you did, something someone else did to you, where more than anything, you wish you could turn back time to just undo everything that's been done. And then you realize, like you're not Superman and that we all have the same problem which is the arrow of time only points in one direction. Like it goes forward and never goes back. And there are things that you just wish that you could undo. But in all of your humanity, you can't undo them. There are some things that are irreversible. You can't unbake cookies. You can't uncut hair. You can't unsign those papers. You can't unhave that affair. 
You can't unspend that money. And what's done is done, and there is not a superpower anywhere that can make what's done undone. And even when there's grace, and even when there's forgiveness, like the damage that you have released on the world or the damage that has been released on you, like it's just done. And it turns out that we're not Superman. And it also turns out that all of us aren't the people who we wanted to be. All of us aren't the people that we tried to be, that we told other people that we were, that we are not who we'd really thought we would be. And that's just not personal. Like there is damage done all over the world that can't be undone. Like from school shootings to church shootings in Sri Lanka, and yesterday there was a shooting in a synagogue. Like there's just a lot of damage in the world. I'll tell you a little bit of something that we're dealing with at our house right now. My wife is a science teacher and she teaches at a school. Um, where a lot of the kids don't speak very much English, some, none at all. And most all of them are uh, immigrants to the United States and not all of them are legal. And just two weeks ago, she had a student um, on the playground who broke his ankle. And so they were looking at his ankle, took her to the nurse and they said, you, you've got to see a doctor for this. This ankle's broken. She's like, I can't diagnose it hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure that this is a broken ankle. And my wife was with her and the, the little boy says, well, I, I can't, I can't go to the doctor. My mom can't afford that. And the nurse said, well, maybe like a place like Ben Tob, you go to a public hospital, they can get, you can get it looked at. And he says, we can't do that either. He says, we're here illegally. And so if I go to the hospital, like they may send us home. But guess what? He said that at school. So he can't come back to school and them not call CPS either. And when he limped out of school that day, it was the last time they ever saw him. Phone number's been changed. No one knows where they are. I mean, and, and that's the kind of thing that's even outside of ourselves. That she wishes, she could say, you know what, don't get on the monkey bars today. I really wish that we could undo all of that. And into this world where everyone, all of us, are this mix of things both personal and things outside of ourselves that we'd really like to undo, we tend to look for answers and we keep not finding them. Have you found yourself looking for an answer to all of your own problems or all of the world's problems? And maybe if you just did this or you thought about it this way, if you just moved there, if you just had this job, if you were just dating this person, if you were just married to this person, if your kids would just do this, or maybe if we could just elect this politician or get this party or we had this economic theory, that we're always looking for answers. And into this weird world where we want to undo things, 
We open the scriptures and the scriptures give this, this really unlikely story about the world we live in and about how it is that we step into the repair of all of the damage in the world. And it's hidden in a place that we're not looking for it, so we often overlook it. But the scriptures tell us that there is an answer for all of the things in your life, the things around us that we would really like to undo. And it's hidden right there in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, some of you have uh, been around the Bible a long time. And what that means is that you've read parts of it or you've heard people talk about parts of it and they keep talking about the gospel and they keep trying to explain what the gospel is. And they say, well, this is the gospel and this is the gospel. And everybody's got a kind of a doctrine built around some sort of system of thought built around what the gospel is, which I think is really odd because the Bible actually just kind of comes out and says, hey, this is the gospel. And it's there in 1 Corinthians 15. And this is what the apostle Paul says is the answer to all the damage in the world. He says, now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news, that word gospel, that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as first importance what I in turn had received. So Paul says, this is, this is a first importance. So of all the things that are really important, of all the things that you have to know, all the things that are mandatory, Paul says, this is the thing of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So Paul says, this is the thing of first importance, and then he says the thing that many of us heard, what we celebrated last week, that Christ died for our sins, but he sneaks in these five words that are absolutely amazing that we totally overlook. And they are mo the five most important words about my future and about your future and about my past and about your past. And those five words are in accordance with the scriptures. And what Paul says is that God has been telling a story since the beginning, since the first pages of Genesis about what God is up to in the world and what Jesus does, who Jesus is, what Jesus accomplishes is all done according to the scriptures. And now you and I step into that story according to the scriptures, that this is the story that God has always been telling. This is what God has always been up to, that everything is done in accordance with the scriptures. And you can't understand Jesus or what Jesus is up to or what Christianity is if you don't understand that it's all done according to the scriptures. That's how the death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Because there is this word uh, that Bible nerds and theologians like me talk about, and it's this word, uh, recapitulation. And recapitulation is the fancy theological word for redo. So when I was a kid growing up in Mississippi, um, before our parents took responsibility for our social lives and playdates existed. We just went out and played. My parents never knew where I was. Like, it was like, if you come home, you're either really tired 
or you're bleeding, and that's all we really need to know. And so me and my friends would just play in these woods around our house, and we played because we were just like baseball nerds. Like we'd play stickball all the time. And because we were playing in this really heavily wooded area, like if someone hit a ball and it went out into this really deep, thick, wooded area, and no one could get back there to get it. And so we would just say, redo. And you just do the whole thing over again. It's like, redo. Like we're going to start where we left off and everybody just goes back to the base you were on. The count is still the same as it was before. It's just a redo. And the reason that Jesus dies and resurrected according to the scriptures in accordance with the scriptures is that God wants you to know that wherever you are right now, whatever you're facing, that because Jesus lives, you have stepped into the great redo. That after the resurrection, the clock starts again. Jesus didn't come to tell you the second part of the story. Jesus came to write a new story. And you get to be a part of a new story. Just think about what's already there in your Bible. Why does Jesus have 12 disciples? Why not 11 or why not 13? Why not 42? The more the merrier. Why not 102? Because there were 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus is reconstituting Israel with himself as the center of all things. In the story of Genesis, when God looks out at the great expanse, when there is nothing, God speaks the world into existence. And when John begins to tell his gospel of who Jesus is, he begins with these words that in the beginning, the voice was speaking. Miracles. That Jesus comes along and he performs these miracles and they're not for entertainment. They're not just so that people can be made well, even though that would have been good enough because you were probably taught something similar to what I was taught, and that when Jesus performs a miracle, whether it's a healing of a blind man or a lame man, when he heals a hemorrhaging woman, that for some reason, that that is Jesus suspending the natural order of things, and that is not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing when he heals someone, Jesus is not suspending the natural order of things. Jesus is restoring the natural order of things. People aren't supposed to be blind. People aren't supposed to be lame. People aren't supposed to have cancer. Kids are not supposed to break their ankles and not be able to get them fixed. Jesus is restoring the natural order of things because this is not the, the continuation of an old story. This is a new story. And you get to be a part of a new story, of a great redo. But before some of us can get into our great redo, our next redo, we have to go through a great undo. And this happens in the story of Exodus. You remember God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, my people are down there in slavery. I need you to go down there and set them free. But Pharaoh's going to resist. And Pharaoh resists for a reason. Because Pharaoh believes and he's told everybody else that he's God. 
And when you're God, you get to control everything. Pharaoh used to say what the, what the Pharaohs told people is that they were the sun and the moon. And the reason that people allowed them to be Pharaoh is because they believed that this God, this Pharaoh was the one who held it all together. That everything would fall apart if this Pharaoh weren't treated well and he weren't on the throne. And so God sends plagues. He sends locusts. The Nile turns to blood. And God continues to say, if you are in charge of everything, Pharaoh, then show me. If you can hold everything together, hold this together. And then you get to that ninth plague and there is darkness. Pharaoh, if you are the sun and the moon, you hold it all together then why is there darkness? And for some of us, before we can enter into our great redo, we have to go through our great undo because we've spent most of our lives convincing ourselves that we are God. That we are the ones who are holding it all together. That everything happens because of our work and our labor and our toil and our sweat. And God says to the people, to the Hebrews leaving Egypt, when you get out here in, in the wilderness, I'm going to give you these 10 commandments to show you how to be my people so that you can restart, so you can redo. One of my favorite resurrection stories is when the Marys visit the tomb to take care of the body of Jesus. And this is how John tells that story in John 20. He says, the rest of the Marys, they went on their way home. Mary, speaking of Mary Magdalene, however, stood outside the tomb sobbing, crying, and kneeling at its entrance. As she cried, two heavenly messengers appeared before her where Jesus' head and feet had been laid. Dear woman, why are you weeping? They have taken away my Lord, and I cannot find him. After uttering these words, she turned around to see Jesus standing before her, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, Jesus says, why are you sobbing? Who is it you were looking for? She still had no idea who it was before her, thinking he was the gardener. She muttered, sir, if you are the one who has carried him away, then tell me where he is, and I will retrieve him. Mary. Jesus says, Rabbi, my teacher. Now, this story about Mary, because she travels with Jesus, she supports Jesus, she knows Jesus well. But when she sees him in the tomb, she thinks he's the gardener which would be funny if you hadn't seen Superman. Because where Adam and Eve were put in the middle of this garden to tend it and to care for it, but fell into sin and brokenness, John wants us to know there is a new gardener. The story starts again and where humans have failed before we get to live anew 
And here's the great news for you. I would bet most of us picked up the message somewhere along the way that the most central and most important thing about you happened in Genesis 3 at the fall. And that you are children of the fall and the, way the, the reason the world works the way it does is because of the fall. And that you are sinful. And there, there's something functionally and basically flawed about who you are. And that is an old story. Because now you are no longer children of the fall. You are children of the resurrection. You get a great redo. And you can live the rest of your life telling yourself a story about how you are a child of the fall, or you can spend the rest of your life telling yourself a story that you are a child of the resurrection. But you get to choose. Because the Jews, for centuries and centuries and centuries, had been waiting for a savior, and many still are. But for those of us who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and who died and was resurrected in accordance with the scriptures, we believe that God has come and a new day has come and that the Apostle Paul was right when he says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, new creation. So the question for you is, are you waiting for Superman? Are you waiting for something to turn the world backwards? Because if you are, it's already happened. A couple of months ago, I was talking to two of my really good friends, and they went through a terrible period about 10 years ago when he had an affair. And I was sitting there talking with them about their marriage and how they had managed to make it through and come out on the other side of him having an affair. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't something that you would prescribe for anybody. And they did all the things that would feel very natural for you to do. There was all of the anger and all of the hurt, all of the despair, everything that you would expect. And so they were in counseling and it wasn't working and they were out of counseling and that wasn't working and they were in counseling and out of counseling and nothing worked. And then she said, we had to realize that if we were going to make it through this, if we were going to stay together, then we weren't in our old marriage. That this had to be a new marriage. And here's what I want you to get. There is so much in your life that cannot be undone. Time just doesn't work that way. Humans don't work that way. But there is so much in your life that can be redone because of Jesus, everything that can't be undone can be 
redone. And this is why when Jesus comes, he says, I have come to make all things new. Ecclesia, let me pray for you. God, allow us to step into the newness of life that you provide and that only you provide and to own the resurrection that we proclaimed just a week ago, that you are up to something new and beautiful and powerful in our lives. And God, allow us to claim in our most deepest sense that we are children of the resurrection and no longer children of the fall. And we ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.